Hello, and welcome to another episode of Wednesday Night Wrestling. This is your host, the middle-aged Mark. And once again, we'll be discussing AEW Dynamite versus NXT on USA. As always, thank you for listening. Please hit like, subscribe, listen to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or on Launchpad, hosted by Podcast One. Please follow me at Twitter at W Knight Wrestling. That's W N I T E Wrestling on Twitter. Really enjoying a lot of the engagement that I've been having on Twitter and getting to know some of you in the internet wrestling community. So it's really been a blast, and I do appreciate the feedback, and I do appreciate those who are listening to the show. So, last week, I was actually at the AEW Dynamite show from Boston, and Boston is a, uh, it's a pretty good wrestling town. And hopefully, now all of you have had an opportunity to see AEW Dark, and the match between Kenny Omega and the bad boy Joey Janela. Now, I know this is from last week's show, but I mentioned that it was a killer match. I gave no spoilers, but now that all of you have seen it, I do think it's opened up a lot of eyes. The ability and skill of Joey Janela, that he's not just a crash test dummy. He's not just a garbage wrestler, but instead, I think he's really proving just how good he actually is. And maybe somewhere down the road, we might actually go ahead and see a title run out of Joey Janela in AEW. There's a lot of things I think have to happen between now and then, particularly when it comes to, I think, character development. He's just the bad boy. Just by proving that he can go in the ring, I don't think will be enough because it really does seem that AEW is trying to do a lot of character development, which is what I think you need to do early on in a program like this. So I know there's been some... I don't know, questions, feedback, negativity online about what AEW is producing, but I think where they are, just three episodes in, they're really getting the audience prepped and giving them behind-the-scenes glimpses and, and video packages for us to know talent that if you haven't been following AEW, either on social media or on the pay-per-views leading up to AEW Dynamite, you may not know some of this talent. They're doing a tremendous job of mixing in the old talent and the new talent. Furthermore, there's been a lot of speculation, I think, going into this that the EVPs, Cody, Kenny, the Bucks, would be in a perfect position to go ahead and book themselves and their friends always into top positions. Clearly, when you look at records, which wins and losses matters, uh, wins and losses matter. Cody has the best record. He's currently 3-1-1. One, and one. I think it's maybe 4-1-1 one, and one now. You have Kenny, who hasn't even hit 500 yet. He's 2-3. and three. Maybe with uh, last night, maybe he's at 3-3. Three and three, So sitting at 500. And the Young Bucks are also 3-3. Three and three. Question that I have, and I've been tempted to go ahead and tweet at the guys uh, in AEW. They're listing overall records, which means that you have singles, tag team, or trios. Trios intrigues me because it looks as though they might be going with a six-man tag at some point, which would be amazing, and I'm actually a big fan of it because you have guys like Orange Cassidy with Best Friends. You have Jurassic Express, which unfortunately, the news that came out yesterday is that Luchasaurus is out with a torn hamstring and he won't be back for a while because they were obviously a trio. You have multiple possibilities within the elite, but nevertheless, I'm really excited if they have a six man, but as far as records go, they're showing overall. So right now, Matt and Nick Jackson are both sitting at three and three. Kenny could be sitting at three and three. You have a number of folks, uh, Frankie Kazarian, for example, three and three. If they're looking at overall records, does that mean that, it, that the tag team wrestlers who have an overall record that is equal to or greater than a singles wrestler could then have the possibility of competing for a singles title? 
So could Frankie Kazarian at 3-3, three and three, same exact record as other singles wrestlers, have a shot at Jericho? I'm not sure where they're going with this, but I am really curious. But I am super psyched to go ahead and see the, the trios being listed there. And when it comes to Joey Janela, going back to Joey for a minute, great showing, but he's 0-2. He's 0-2. He has a lot of work to do, both in character development and where they're placing him, both on the card and developmentally. So let's get into the show. First of all, I'm going to not do the compare and contrast where I did that in the second episode, the first one that was head-to-head of both shows. I did find that a little bit difficult to do going back and forth, and it, it really is difficult to watch that way, although that's how I watched many of the matches was going back and forth, but then taking some time to review them later on. I'm going to be less involved with talking about every move. I think that's boring. It's kind of like Joey uh, Joey Styles calling every single possible move by some funny name, because I think of Danny Doring, and he had a, a name for everything. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and everything else that, that he had. Instead, I just want to look at angles that are being built, stories that are being told, where I think they might be going. So looking more of, a, I guess, from a kayfabe perspective, as opposed to analyst perspective. Like, what's fun? What's my prognostications about the characters and what I think they're going to do? Just like anyone who's trying to figure out what's happening in a comic or a movie. Right off the bat, though, 803. 8.03, I turn on the TV. Already something is happening. So already you have Christopher Daniels knocked out, going onto a backboard, neck secured. I have no idea what's going on. Like what has already happened in three minutes of the show? And then they show the footage. And then afterwards, looking online, over and over again, oh, I think it's legit. Oh, oh, I think his neck is broken. Now, I haven't done any research, but I haven't seen anything saying that Christopher Daniels is out for six months with a broken neck. If I have missed that, I feel bad, but I don't remember seeing that. I watched the clip over and over and over again. I'm of the opinion it was a safe bump. I don't like the package pile driver. I think it is a dangerous move. But Pentagon does seem to be able to deliver it with a fair regularity of safety, including on the apron, which I think is really hard to do. And he keeps everyone pretty high. It looks safe to me. It looks like Daniel's tucked properly. I don't know. It, it looks fine. I didn't see anything saying that he's, he's out forever. But nevertheless, this came right out of the gate. Like The show is barely a couple minutes old, and you've already set up an angle. Now, they already had these guys jaw-jacking last week, and it was clear that they were going to have some kind of confrontation between SCU and the Lucha Brothers. But what's really great is the same thing that's happening across the card on AEW, which is that mixture of, of older talent and newer talent. Now, look, Scorpio Sky, I think, is like a 10, 12-year, 15-year vet. He's not a new guy in wrestling, but he's new on the stage. And they went back and forth on BET, BTE about who was going to go ahead and get the shot. Like, oh, we're going to go with the veterans. We're going to go with Daniels and Kazarian. Bad, what, the addiction and bad breed or bad blood, whatever they were. It makes a lot of sense that they'd be the ones to compete for it. But by setting up this angle, you get Sky in there with, with Frankie. It's absolutely perfect. You get the younger guy in there. It's like they're swapping out Daniels. Hopefully they'll stay as a trio. But this is perfect because Sky is obviously a superstar in the making, if he's not already. Crowd is super into him. Such a great look, so athletic, jacked to the gills, and he can move just tremendous. And he has a really good connection with the crowd as his character continues to grow. Because I think he has to be more than just that this is the worst town guy. He keeps putting on performances like he does. It doesn't really matter what he says. He's awesome. So kudos to Scorpio Sky. However, I was disappointed. Because I really wanted best friends to go over. For whatever reason, I'm a huge Trent Beretta fan. He's hilarious on Twitter. Same as, as sexy Chucky e. T. Chuck Taylor shouldn't, shouldn't move the way that he does. At least he doesn't look like he should be able to do the things that he does. He's really quite impressive. And as a team, although I'd love to see them actually wearing matching gear, um, I was really hoping that they were, they were going to go over on these guys. Um, it just looks like they want to push... SCU right now, and I think a, a big part of that 
is Scorpio Sky and getting him in a position to be a superstar. Now, one of the things that I tweeted out, and for whatever reason, I harp on it all the time, but there are these chants that go up going, Tag Team Wrestling! Tag Team Wrestling! That's great. And I love that AEW is focusing on Tag Team Wrestling. I fell in love with Tag Team Wrestling. But I keep harping on the tag rope. The tag rope is part of the rules. And part of what it does is it limits the amount of space that you can travel on the apron to go ahead and get to your partner. What this adds is drama for the hot tag. Because you got a guy in the opposite corner, how far can you come across the apron? How close can you get? How long are your arms? How far can you stretch? And the, the rope, the tag rope, limits the distance which you could travel. Otherwise, the guys are just pacing back and forth in the apron, and it's kind of like an arbitrary line. And if you're not really paying attention to the rules, which that's a whole other issue with those complaining about AEW and, and are the refs playing with the rules, um, I want to see the tag rope used. SCU was using the tag rope. I'd have to go back and look. I think best friends were as well, but I'm not 100% certain. And there were a couple other tag matches in the night, um, including the Lucha Brothers and Jurassic Express. Nevertheless, great to see SCU using it. And just a comparison is that over on NXT, Oni Lorcan, Danny Birch versus Imperium, tag rope in use, both teams, and consistently... The Revival always use the tag rope, old school tag team wrestling. So if the day does ever come where the Revival leaves WWE and goes to AEW to live up to that tweet, what was it, Dash Wilder, that someday the Revival and the Young Bucks will wrestle, I really hope that happens because I think it would be absolutely amazing. But I digress. So SU over Best Friends and Imperium ends up going over on uh, Lorcan and Birch over on... NXT. Next on AEW, you have Proud and Powerful, Santana and Ortiz. And holy cow, Santana is goofy. Wow. Uh, a little little different. Uh, but they were uh, against some job guys, which I guess are, are kind of well-known in the Philly area. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting what their names are. I suppose I could look it up, but apparently they're fairly well-known on the indie scene. I don't know them. And that um, formerly LAX, Proud and Powerful, actually faced these guys before uh, on an indie match. So they were familiar with each other, and, and these guys are fairly well known. But, you know, kind of a standard standard squash match, which I think is interesting because I don't think anyone expected there to be any kind of job matches on AEW. So it's actually kind of good to see because I do think it builds talent. I'm a fan of squash matches. I don't think it should be endless squash matches where they've done that with certain guys, particularly in NXT, where it's just job, 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 job over and over again. You start to get bored because you want to see where the guy or the team is going to go. But Santana or Ortiz, wow. I mean, it's not a surprise, but I guess you just see them on this scale, to see them in this size ring, to, to see what they can do, how they move, how fluid they are. They're, they're just top of their game. And to have them as part of the inner circle, I think is just really cool because you get all these different elements when you look at that group. Such an interesting mix of indie talent and impact talent and former WWE talent. Inner Circle is really, really pretty cool. So then you have this Chris Jericho promo. And on Twitter, I was wrong. I, I posted it was Ortiz. I do think it was both of them at one point. It was actually Santana. Um, or I we're getting it backwards. I, I apologize. But um, pretty sure it was Santana, who was just screaming over the promo that was coming over the the speakers uh, and up on that that uh, jumbotron there with jericho putting over proud and powerful and they're just screaming the best the best the best it was just so odd but hilarious at the same time it was like hey he's putting you over up on the big screen it's chris freaking jericho um let him do his thing for you uh i love that finishing maneuver though the street sweeper Really great stuff, just so fluid, but it also looks devastating, as smooth as it looks. It's really awesome to see. So think about what we've already just seen in just a few minutes uh, in the first segments of AEW. You have two really great tag teams, an SCU and Best Friends, followed up with another tag team match with Proud and Powerful. Then, then you still have another match 
with the Lucha Brothers versus the Jurassic Express. So let's just stick with tag team, and we'll, we'll go to that for a moment. So Luchasaurus has blown out his hamstring, which is really a bummer, because talk about a team that's over, and in particular, how Luchasaurus's presence is so important to the dynamic of that team, because Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, obviously first a boy and his dinosaur, and now with Marco Stunt, they give you that attraction feel, but then the fact that Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus in particular can really go in the ring. And by the way, Jungle Boy is just getting better and better each and every time he wrestles. Nevertheless, to lose Luchasaurus, I think, is a huge blow. It's a huge blow to the tag team division of AEW. And you had a legit star, all star power, coming out of, kind of out of that team. So the fact that Luchasaurus is out is a really big bummer. I feel bad for him, and I hope he gets back healthy uh, sooner than later. But when he comes back, wherever they are, whether he comes back at a pay-per-view or a dynamite, the roof is going to explode off that place. He's going to be a conquering hero. And I hope that when that time comes, he just goes on a tear. And maybe he's as a single at that point, because you got to do something with Marco and Jungle Boy. Do you keep him as a tag team, or do you have him go the singles route? Regardless, Luchasaurus, he's coming back. And he is going to be huge, a huge star. And he deserves it. He's put in the work. And what a neat, odd, strange gimmick. But it is over as hell. Quickly going over to NXT. I just want to point out, and I said this last week. I think I've said it the last couple of weeks. The women's division of AEW is not as good. So if we're just talking about a comparison, right? Wednesday night war. When you're comparing it as a war, if you're looking at who are your soldiers on both sides, the women's division of NXT is just vastly superior at this point in time. Maybe it's just that they have more reps and they're constantly down at the performance center. I don't know the developmental work they're doing in AEW for their talent. They have tremendous coaches in guys like Billy Gunn and Jerry Lynn. But I have to say, um, beyond Riho, a lot of that division, they're, they're not showing what I think some of them have shown on the indies. B Priestley, I think, has... has she, she wasn't on the show, but she's proven to be a little bit sloppy, maybe dangerously stiff or just not as refined. Sadly, they're putting so much time and energy into Britt Baker. She's just not hitting it the way that she should be for the time and energy that they've been putting into her. Great story, right? Dennis and all that. Really not clicking in the ring. And I don't know if it's just because they have so many different styles mixing in the Joshi talent with the American talent. I don't know, but something's just not clicking. But Riho seems to be, I don't know, keeping up her side of whatever match that she's in and really excelling and getting super over. And then you look at it, she's only 22 years old and she already has a ton of experience. And I think it's just a matter of having come up in that, that Japanese system. Anyway, on the other channel... Over on NXT, you have someone like Io Shirai, you know, and, and Caden came out. Um, I, I really haven't seen much of her before, but it was a solid match. And Io is just so good right now and an amazing heel, clearly showing that a heel is what she should be. And I'm, I'm hoping they stick with that with a long time. I know it's possible that she's going to be so popular that they're eventually going to have to turn her because she's really getting heat. I don't like the the what chant stuff. I mean, it's just negative. It's still stupid stuff. So regardless of whether she's speaking uh, as a second language or not, the what chant is just obnoxious. Thanks, Steve Austin. Thanks. I know you regret it too. Um, but there's just no comparison. And then they have Io. You know, she goes ahead. Uh, she she beats uh, Caden with that amazing moonsault that she has. People were just putting pictures out of that. So, so freaking good and so fluid. Awesome. It's 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 so, so great. 
but she's been really positioned as very strong and she considers herself to be a contender for Shayna Baszler's title. Cue up someone else who thinks they should be a contender for that title. I popped huge for Rhea Ripley coming out to make her presence felt. If you talk about any woman of any division, AEW, NXT, NXT UK, hell, the Smackdowns, the Raws, it doesn't matter. If you're going to tell me you look at Rhea Ripley and you don't see Superstar, that you don't see a hard-hitting hell of a match against someone like a Charlotte Flair or a Becky Lynch or Sasha Banks, I don't know what you're seeing because she's tremendous. She has the look, the size. I mean, Rhea Ripley is going to be a huge star. I think everyone was expecting that Tony Storm was going to be the breakout NXT star. I think Rhea Ripley's more overall packaged, like a character, um, presence, charisma. Super big on Rhea Ripley right now. I'm hoping that she gets the title sooner than later. And maybe she gets the, the UK women's title back, but I'd like to see her in the quote-unquote main NXT Wednesday nights. I think she belongs there, and I think you're looking at the next big female superstar, right along with Yashirai. Sticking with NXT, I guess next we'll go into the match that is probably the best match of the night overall, regardless of show. And that's the Keith Lee Dominic Dijakovic's match. Two big guys, very different builds, but my gosh, putting on a show that had psychology, it had some stiffness, it had some jaw-dropping maneuvers, stuff that guys of this size shouldn't be doing, shouldn't be capable of doing, but still telling a story. It was trying to earn that shot being willing to do anything possible to put the other guy down. The selling, you know, uh, Dajakovic was selling the arm. Really, really good stuff. That was clearly, I think, the best wrestled match of the night. I think that was the best wrestled match of the night. And I, I don't think that's even debated. I think that on on social media... As much as people want to put over AEW as a whole, and I'm not saying that I don't feel the same way as far as overall show, that first week, NXT, I thought was a better show. I didn't want it to be, but it was. Last week, I was there, and it was freaking awesome. In large part because of a dark match that people didn't see until Tuesday. Nevertheless, that Keith Lee-Dijakovic match, come on. That's, that's a pay-per-view quality match right there that's being given away for free on cable television. But then to have it not end and Regal's fury at it happening like this, that's just another thing. You know, Regal is just a, I don't know, a gem. He's just a gem. He is so, I guess, intertwined with that brand and meaningful to the brand, but not just on camera and the work that he does. For NXT behind the scenes, particularly as a talent scout, his fury at ending like this, and okay, fine, fine, Undisputed Era, fine, Roddy Strong, you want to go ahead and do this? Guess what? Three-way match. Keith Lee, Dominic Dijakovic versus Roddy Strong for the North American title. That is going to be out of this world. Absolutely out of this world. And I can't wait to see it. You know, another thing on NXT, and I couldn't focus my energy on it. So I'm a big Tommaso Ciampa fan. I think so many people are. I know a lot of people are high on Garza. I didn't really care. It was great to see Ciampa back because he's so good. And he's still doing some... He's still doing heel work. I mean, that's just, that's just who the character is, even though I think he's positioned... 
as a baby face, he's still doing the, the heel actions, just like Stone Cold Steve Austin was a heel, even when he was babyface. They're kind of positioning the Blackheart the same way, and I think it's really cool, and I love the fact that he's up against the Undisputed Era. I think it's perfect. Really love to see it. Happy to have him back. Didn't care about the match, frankly. So that brings us to the Lucha Brothers. Full heel mode. Full heel mode. You got the, the blood design mask for Pentagon. And they're obviously going to try and destroy this much weaker team of Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. Yes, that's right. Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt competing in the place of Luchasaurus in the tag team tournament. I'm not sure how they were going to book it originally. And if Luchasaurus was, was still there, whether they would have gone over or not, I don't know. But there was no way when you saw that it was Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt that they were going over on the Lucha Brothers. So in that regard, it was kind of like, oh, well, let's just watch it for what it is. But ultimately, we know how it's going to end. So that was kind of a disappointment because just watching them ragdoll Marco Stunt, it's fun, but it's not going to have longevity. And that's not me hating on Marco Stunt. It's just that if he doesn't develop beyond the very gimmicky things that he does, and become a more well-rounded wrestler. And maybe at his size, he won't be. But I don't think that his size necessarily needs to mean he can't improve and have a wider you know, skill set. I look at it, he's, he's smaller than Spike Dudley. But Spike Dudley progressed beyond just taking sick bumps and just getting ragdolled all the time or thrown into the crowd or whatever they did to Spike Dudley. He, he would take it, he would do it. But he was also a fairly competent, if not very good, wrestler. And Marco Stunt right now is just high spots. Flip, flop, fly, and get the crap kicked out of him by the much larger opponent. That's going to have limits. That being said, it was a fun match. And I think that Jungle Boy is bigger than people think because he's so lean. But he looks credible out there with anyone. And I know I say that word a lot, credible. But that's like you're asking me to suspend disbelief, right? Jungle Boy also has huge star written all over all over him. So however this whole dynamic happens with Luchasaurus being out, I'm not sure where this goes. But if this does mean there's a foray into singles work for Jungle Boy, I'm all for it. Because he's clearly a star in the making. So now... I mentioned the best worked match of the night, which I think is Dijakovic and Lee. But the best storytelling and angle setting and the furthering of multiple stories all at once, you have to go with the Mox and Pack versus Hangman and Omega. In one match, they did an awful lot. And it was really well done. So the action that we got was good. You're not going to look at that group of talent and say they can't work. Because they can. But it's the stories that they were telling and how intricate they're being. And maybe this is where everyone talks about the great days of the Attitude Era. But one of the, the singular pieces of credit that Vince Russo always gets as a booker is making sure that you were telling stories up and down the card and that you would have these kind of intersecting stories at different points. But that's also classic wrestling too. Or even to a lesser extent, you think about New Japan and how their stories start and end and how you could have long-term feuds that come back year after year, but there's always the guy beats another guy for a title, the next contender comes down to make their challenge. So you're, you're always getting into that next story. But what I like that they did here is that they're also not, not paying off prior you know, scenarios or, or prior matches, but using the prior matches, using the history between the contestants to... Well, okay, I'll give you an example. 
So Pac comes in, and in his two matches before this, I think it's two matches before this, he beats Hangman Page, and he beats Kenny Omega. Submits them both. This should be a huge surprise, right? And it was. It was a huge surprise. Kenny definitely, Hangman maybe, but Pac has a really, well, I think he has a perfect record. How many matches does Pac have under his belt right now? So it looks like Pac, yeah, is, well, 2-0, but he's now 2-1. So spoiler alert for anyone who didn't see it, sorry. He's 2-1. Beats Hangman, beats Omega. But the way that they're keeping that overall record, like I mentioned earlier, in one match, by beating Pac, Hangman and Kenny both get another win in their tag team win column, which adds to their overall score. So by beating Pac, they each get one more win on their overall records. So they both get back from Pac by beating him. When I say beating him, <laughs> so this is where talk about storytelling. So part of the reason that the, they're even having this very odd tag team matchup in Mox and Pac, Pac and Mox, Mox and Pac, is the feud between Moxley and Omega, which was supposed to be paid off already, or at least maybe phase one of a long-term feud. I'm hoping that's the case, but it couldn't happen because of Moxley's injury. So here, you're getting that piece teed up. They teed up some of it, obviously, last week on Dynamite, coming out with the weapons. They used the weapons again. So you got the cleaner and the barbed wire broom, and you, and you got Mox with his bat. But you've also now set up a match that's going to happen next week, which is Moxley versus Pac. Because, okay, I mentioned the referees earlier. Apparently, Pac's the only one, and he's a heel who cares about the rules. And he doesn't want to get disqualified. He's telling Mox, use your head. He wants him to use his head. And what are you trying to do? Get us disqualified and lose the match? Pac doesn't want any losses on his record. He knows that wins and losses matter. So he's trying to tell his, his partner, what are you doing? Knock it off. Mox doesn't like to be told what to do. Good old stone cold kick in the gut instead of a stunner. You have the paradigm shift, double underhook, DDT. Flips in the bird, takes off. Mox is gone. Leaving Pack to Hangman and Omega, two guys who both want to get back at him, given that he submitted them both. Think about what you got out of it. You further the story of Kenny and Moxley. You have actually furthered the story of Pac and Hangman, which goes all the way back to the all-in press conference, right? Or the AEW announced press conference. You then set up another match for next week with Moxley and Pac. And don't forget that somewhere in all this, you've already set up last week a potential match between Hangman and Jake Hager. This is the kind of layered storytelling that people who are upset with WWE, this, this is why they're upset. This is why they're upset with SmackDown and Raw. This is booking. Booking, not writing. And I keep kind of harping on that point, particularly on Twitter. There is a difference. See, writing, you're trying to tell a story, and maybe you know the end, and you can you have to get there. You have to know the beginning, middle, the end, etc. Whereas oftentimes you've heard Booker say, um, we're just going to tell you the finish and then you fill in all the rest. Now, if that's the case, that's fine, but they know where they want to go. I think they know a year out, frankly. I think they know. But I also think they know two years out. Because if you're telling continuity-based stories, as they say in, in comics and film, canon, if you're setting the canon, setting these individuals against each other with the understanding that a year from now, they can reference a match. It's just like in, in quote-unquote real sports, so not, you know, predetermined. Let's put it that way. 
There are so many great stories that get told at UFC about guys who have fought each other a couple years apart. How one guy becomes a champion, the other guy slips down the card. I mean, these kind of things just make sense. It looks to me that what they're doing really, really well in AEW right now is setting the stage for multiple stories to be told over a pretty fair amount of time, I think, is their goal. And I think that's great. And maybe it's just... I don't know. The boys are booking, and sometimes they say the boys shouldn't be booking. But given the way that you're hearing heat on... (laughs) You're hearing heat on the Bucks and Kenny for the losing streak, right? Or the losing record. I mean, you really can't win. So you, you book yourself strong... And you're looked at as being, oh, okay, you're going to book yourself into the top spot. Which Dusty did, by the way. A lot of guys did. Or, well, what are you doing? How come, how come these, these characters that we know and love aren't being used the same way? Shouldn't the Young Bucks be winning every single match? Shouldn't Kenny Omega be the champion? No. They, they don't need it right now. They're building up all this other talent... And they're telling these great stories. And they're really poised, I think, from just everything that you've seen with BTE, where you've had payoffs of certain angles a year later. I think I said it on the first episode. Joey Ryan and Hangman Page was an angle that was told completely on BTE long term. And they paid it off. As long as you pay it off, no matter what the journey is, as long as it's paid off, Fans are happy. If you don't pay it off, if there isn't a satisfying resolution to a feud, that's when fans get mad. And that's what WWE do far too many times. Ultimately leaving you feeling unsatisfied. Not the case with NXT. Not the case with TakeOvers. And that's where I think it's so interesting How even now in 2019, there are people who go on Twitter and crap on Hunter, yet love NXT, which is his baby, and let's face it, right now, if you could have your magic wand and wave it, you would want Hunter to be running Raw and SmackDown. You know that you would, so I don't understand the hate for Hunter. He's an old school booker. His shows are better. Shows that are booked are better than shows that are written. Period. All right, so over in NXT, their next match is um, the bro, Matt Riddle versus Bronson Reed. I don't care. Couple of matches, NXT, just didn't care. Love Matt Riddle. Love to see where he ends up. Hopefully he's a world champ someday. Don't care. Sorry, Bronson Reed. Maybe you're good. People seem to like you. Maybe you can have a tag team with Garza. I don't know. Don't care. What I do care about, there's a guy that I cannot put over enough, and I think I did last week, and that is the star, the bright, shining star that is Darby Allen, who is cutting promos on the GOAT, Le Champion, Chris Jericho. I have been waiting for this match, and I think it's brilliant that Jericho has a secondary character, if you will. Finn Balor has the demon. Chris Jericho has the pain maker. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's a clockwork orange. It is the ultra-violent, let's-get-stupid-sick-and-violent Chris Jericho. It's awesome. Because you're up there against a guy like Darby Allen, who, as we've talked about before, will do some pretty extreme things. I don't think I quite anticipated how extreme Darby Allen was going to be in this particular match and doing some things that I've never seen before. Maybe he's done it on the indies. If so, let me know. Otherwise, what in the actual heck is going on here? So let's just start off the match. If you're going to have exchanges, so this is the one criticism I have of Darby Allen, and I think that you will all agree 
his strikes are terrible. He needs to be shown how to throw a good working punch. So Darby Allen, who I know for absolute certain is never going to hear this. I'm just going to tell you anyway. Go watch Jerry Lawler and learn how to throw a working punch. Go watch Dr. Death Steve Williams learn how to throw a working punch. And hell, if you're going to do garbage matches, go watch yourself some Terry Funk learn how to throw that working punch. Because man, your punches look terrible and I would have to assume I would kick the hell out of you in a fight. Just saying. You have to be believable in strikes because everything else he does is amazing. His raw athleticism is amazing. And what he is willing to do to his body is tremendous. But you're in there with a guy with, like Jericho who can throw hands credibly and from what we know in real life can really throw down when absolutely necessary even though Jericho seems like such a nice guy nevertheless Darby on fix those punches okay anyway garbage came into the match I say garbage you know kendo stick was used first and foremost and, and what I love was you know Jericho using the count um for any any acts of violence that he was committing however if you're telling me that there's a count that means you're talking about things like backing a guy into a corner or a guy grabbing the ropes for a rope break it was a philly street fight people in my timeline on my twitter i was the first one who posted that and then all of a sudden there was this flood of like hey wait a minute a street fighter you can't have rope breaks so I do think I was the first who posted it, just putting myself over. Is that heel work? Guess I'm a heel. Anyway, how the heck do you have a rope break in a street fight? What's interesting is this very similar scenario happened in New Japan. Was it in the Kenny match or was it in the Naito match when Red Shoes was trying to go ahead and call for break and Jericho backed him off? I don't recall seeing him do that because I think it's important <laughs> He shouldn't have to coach the refs because, okay, <laughs> as much as WWE gets heat for not looking at their own rules or having nonsensical stipulations in their matches, AEW's officiating is a little wonky. It doesn't minimize my enjoyment of the show. I'm just being nitpicky for the for the sake of podcasting, right? I mean, that's that's the gimmick. I'm working a gimmick right now, and that is... I look at something like that and I nitpick. And I go, well, guys, don't use the tag rope. Use the freaking tag rope. Darby Allen needs better working punches. And by God, street fights don't have count outs. They don't have rope breaks. None of it. Anyway. At one point, Jericho gets Darby Allen down and gets his arms behind his back and gets out duct tape and tapes Darby Allen's hands together behind his back. The old proverbial, I'll fight you with my arms behind my back. That's what Jericho did to Darby Allen. So Darby Allen wrestled with his arms behind his back. He leapt off first the second rope and then a suicide dive somersault through the second rope onto Jericho no hands look Orange Cassidy can have his hands in his pockets that's fine I still feel like he has more control than a guy who has his arms behind his back do nothing to break his fall because his arms are not at the right angle at least with with uh, Orange Cassidy with his hands being in front. He has some way to maneuver himself, but oh my gosh. So now you have the nitpicky part. 
is Darby Allen going to be able to have at 172 pounds enough weight to keep Jericho down for a three count with no arms? 172 pounds, and what's Jericho? 240. That piece wasn't believable either, but I knew what they were going for. And more of this is getting Darby Allen over because I think everyone sees the star that he can be. And that includes Jericho, who as a heel, by the way, didn't exactly shy away from putting Darby Allen over either online and saying, hey, you might be great, but you're not the champion, right? That's really cool. I think he's deserved it and he's progressively gotten better. But if I remember correctly, let's see, what is Darby Allen's record right now? So it looks like Darby Allen, I think he has a losing record. Um, two, two, and one. Two, two, and one. I think it is um, two, three, and one now. He has the tie with Cody. He has the loss when he was in that trios with, oh gosh, who is that with? Because MJF, it was MJF, Sean Spears, and someone else. Was it Jimmy Havoc versus Darby Allen and, and that whole crew? I forget exactly what that match was. So Darby Allen, two, three, and one, I think, is the, the record after last night. Um, superstar, absolute superstar. <laughs> You'd have Jericho with the skateboard, which is amazing. And there was a powerbomb, a skateboard powerbomb. I don't know how else you describe it. Just absolutely brutal looking. And it can't be pleasant to land on that. But in true heel style, the inner circle does get involved. Jake Hager is involved. And Darby Allen's hopes to win the AEW World Heavyweight Championship are dashed by the inner circle. And Le Champion, Chris Jericho, and uh, <laughs> the blank creepy slate that is Jake Hager. Um, but come on. I mean, Darby was made. I think he was made last week, honestly, in, in beating Havoc. Not because Havoc was the, the this huge star, but more the match, what it led to. And then to go out there and, and have a hell of a fight with Chris Jericho, it, it's really made him. And that's what I think is so great about what Jericho is doing right now and how important it is, actually, to be 48, 49 years old still being able to compete at a certain level, but whether he's winning or losing, he's putting guys over. He's helping create new stars, and I think that's why he's doing it. I think that's why Dustin is doing it. And frankly, I think that's why guys like the Bucks and Kenny have kind of stepped back a little bit and say, hey, look, we're over. We're over, over. Like, we're real over. Nothing's going to change that. So they're going to build this other talent. It's really a tremendous product, in my opinion. There's been some AEW hate because people are saying that it looks or feels too familiar to a WWE product. Like 20 years ago, WWE product. Not current product. They're, they're certainly not contemporaries. And what AEW is doing is vastly to, superior to what WCW was doing in, in their latter days. Like the, the Russo days. Of WCW. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. There's not even a comparison. Because what's happening in AEW is for a startup company, they're really delivering a high-quality, professional wrestling entertainment, yes, I said entertainment, product for a major cable network. And it comes across as being big time. It comes across as being legitimate. It comes across as being well, the, the next largest company in the world. Are there production values to the level of WWE? Not quite, but do I think they're that far off? No. Do I think they have certain work rate deficiencies in some areas versus WWE? Yes, I do. But do I also think that their strengths which is that mixture of new and old talent and how that's going to position them to continue to get better is really very important. I know that's the intention of NXT 2. 
I, I do. I mean, I know that's what it's meant for. But a guy like Adam Cole, for example, he's you know in his 30s now, and if he was over at AEW, I think he'd be a bigger star, frankly. I mean, I really do. I think he'd be a bigger star right now. So I guess where I'm going to go a little bit off topic of directly talking about AEW versus NXT, that leads us back to Marty Skrull. Because Marty Skrull, from what I hear, and maybe this is just a Keller... Wade Keller or Dave Meltzer, whatever the rumor is, is that Marty's contract with ROH is coming up for renewal sometime in November. If that's the case, where does he go? Where does the villain go? Everyone immediately says, oh, well, AEW. He's going to go back with his friends. He's going to go back with the elite. But I don't think it's that simple. Because A, lives in Florida. B, he's with Deanna Parazzo, who's down over in NXT. That could be a better life quality, quality of life decision for Marty Skrull. And I couldn't blame him if he decided to go to NXT. And I think that he would jump right in and be a top guy immediately. If for no other reason, you end up getting Kushida versus Marty Skrull in the NXT ring. That would happen. That'd be tremendous. I'd be super psyched. But it'd probably be good for his life if he went that route, particularly if they get married, settle down, have a family, settle down in Florida. So I'm not completely 100% sold on Marty going to AEW. However, I did a poll on Twitter, and pretty much everyone thinks he's going to uh, AEW and that it's not even close. I'm really not sure if I agree with that assessment. I'm really not sure that I, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'd love to see Marty in AEW, but I guess I'll just uh, have to wait and see as the rest of us will. One of the other things that I'd asked about on Twitter was whether people were interested or as excited as I was, as I mentioned earlier, about trios. 75% responded, yes, they would be excited about having a six-man tag title division in AEW. For the people who voted, thank you. I agree. For the one person who voted, I didn't get a ton of responses, but uh, for the one person who voted no, why would you not like trios? Why would you not like six-man tags? I don't get it. I think it's a, an art form untold self. And for whatever reason, I just remember there being six-man champions. The Junkyard Dog was someone else. It was definitely the, the NWA or, or WCW six-man tag. And um, I don't know. I just really enjoy trios. I think it adds a little bit different dimension, dynamic. So I'm super psyched to see that happen. So who was the star of the night? You certainly had the highlight of the night, which in my opinion might have been Mox going ahead and giving that gut kick to Pac, the double birds, the paradigm shift, and taking off looking like a champ. That's definitely a highlight. I think one of the things that's looked at has been a gift that's been going out of the Snapdragon, or the, no, excuse me, the Poison Rana. Keith Lee and Dijakovic. Okay, great. Still, just a moment. Just a highlight. But who, who is the real star of the night? I did actually consider saying Kenny Omega might have been the star of the night. Because he's really starting to get his groove back. And I think his... Again, kayfabe, guys. He's getting his groove back in storyline. Kenny Omega's freaking Kenny Omega. He's the best bout machine, and he is tremendous. He is good. He is the best in the world, in my opinion. There's no one who can touch him in the ring. And I think Kenny's a tremendous promo. But nay, he was not the star of the night. Was it Marco Stunt? Fun-sized Marco Stunt? going out there and fighting in the place of his much larger partner, Luchasaurus? Eh, it was fun. No. What about Dijakovic and Keith Lee? 
Maybe they're both the match of the night and the stars of the night. Maybe they're the highlight of the night. Now, I think you can't help it. You have to say that the, the top star of the evening, the best response, character development, furthering stories, Darby Allen. Darby Allen's the star of the night. Without a doubt, his, his trajectory is absolutely on the upswing. He is on the rise. You are looking at a future world champion. If they add a secondary singles title, this is the guy you put it on, whether it's a TV title, because if these guys, and, and I know that Cody and the rest of the guys seem to be really steeped in the lore and the history of wrestling, like the AEW title belt is based upon, what is it, a Mid-Atlantic title. I think it was Mid-Atlantic. Mid-South, Mid-Atlantic, one of those. Let's get a TV belt, and let's make it with, with some, some red accents like the old NWA TV belt. Please do that. And you put that sucker on Darby Allen because he is deserving and he is the star of the night. Darby Allen, keep doing what you're doing. Okay, so I guess we're, we're coming up to the end of the podcast. Just a couple minutes left. One of the things that I'm considering to try and grow not only listeners, but interaction and engagement with those who are listening is to perhaps add a Q&A, a mailbag, something like that, so that I can get some interactivity with those who are listening. For those who have subscribed, thank you. I do mean this, and I, and I say it repeatedly. For those of you who are listening, please hit me up on Twitter. Let me know that you're listening. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. And let me know if you'd be interested in other types of segments. Because ultimately, I want to deliver something that people want to listen to. I was given some advice from someone online, The Beard. And The Beard said, hey, just keep doing the podcast because you love it. Just do it because you love wrestling and you love talking about wrestling. And I was really happy to get that kind of response because I was feeling as though, hey, why, why, why am I doing this? What is my intention? Because I love wrestling. But I also want to be a part of the wrestling community, if that makes sense, and have some interactions with fans in this forum to be able to talk about it. So if you'd be interested in the mailbag, if you'd be interested in the Q&A, and if you'd be interested in me trying to secure interviews, or if you know people that you think would be a good interview, by all means, go ahead and contact me at Wednesday Night Wrestling at gmail.com. That's Wednesday Night Wrestling at gmail.com. That is night spelled N-I-T-E. So once again, I thank you for your listenership. I thank you for the interaction. I thank you for engagement. I thank you for loving pro wrestling. Thank you for loving AEW. Thank you for loving NXT. And from what I've seen on Twitter, hey folks, let's spend some more time loving each other too. Because ultimately this is entertainment. This is meant to be fun. But for those of us who take the time out of our weeks to watch the shows, to do podcasts, those who are writing articles, yeah, we take it seriously because we love it, because it's something that we've grown up with and we feel protective of the business. The wrestlers know this too. The wrestlers know that fans are protective. But it doesn't mean that you have to be jumping on someone because they like something different than you. There are certain wrestlers that I'm not a fan of. And that's okay. There are people that I absolutely think are the best that many fans of wrestling think are terrible. Look, my favorite wrestler of all time is Raven. You want to talk about a polarizing figure in wrestling. I related to the character, related to the gimmick, loved ECW, but also knew the history of the guy behind it and the different gimmicks and territories that he'd been through. So what can I tell you? I'm a Raven, Mark. A lot of people think that's absurd. But I'll tell you right now that Tommy Dreamer versus Raven was long-term 
absolute devastatingly emotional feud that lasted for more than a year. Got to tell you, that's what we love about the business. So please, be good to each other, and I'll talk to you all next week for another episode of Wednesday Night Wrestling. Signing off.